Hello, it's Fern here, popping in quickly before the show because I really want to hear from you. I'm forever grateful to you every single time you press play on an episode of Happy Place. And this show really is for you. So in the interest of doing more stuff that you love and less of the stuff you're not bothered by, I would love it if you took a couple of minutes to fill out a little survey for me. The link will be in the show notes. Your input on the content and the format and the guests and all those types of things is so important to help me and the Happy Place team shape the future of Happy Place. So just click on the link in the show notes to share all your thoughts and musings. I appreciate you loads. Hello and welcome to Happy Place, our sacred little corner of the world where we get to be ourselves, warts and all, and celebrate the beauty in that. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm catching up with the gorgeous Stacey Solomon. The reason I like being meticulously organised is because it does make me feel in control. It definitely does make me feel like there are certain aspects of my life that I can 100% control and then I'll forget about the things that I really can't. I don't know about you but I cannot start work until my surroundings are neat and exactly as I want them. In fact, right now, I'm in my little office and everything is organised perfectly. My books are all neatly slapped on the shelves. My desk has all of my little notepads in piles. It's newly hoovered and smells linen fresh, just how I like it. I love you guys, but I couldn't have started chatting to you until that was done. That's definitely something Stacey and I found we have in common during our conversation. In fact, she's written a whole book about it called Tap to Tidy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, let's do it. Here's the show. Stacey, I'm I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Um, how are you? Are you good? Yeah, really well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I've wanted to do this for ages. Oh, I am. I'm so so glad. I um I love following you on Instagram, and ahead of this today, I've been stalking you with a little bit more diligence. And at the weekend, I actually cleared out my cutlery drawer because I was like, Stacey's just got it all sorted. Like, and in my cutlery drawer, there was sort of pens and things that had come out of Christmas crackers and it's like what is all this stuff what is it you're inspiring me massively because I like things to be a certain way in the house I often just don't get around to like properly sorting out like the junk drawer and there's a cupboard in in our bathroom that's full of random random things like none of them have any connection whatsoever and I really need to get a move on your books uh, inspired me in that way as well so your your lovely book I've got it here uh tap to tidy I can't Um, believe you've got it there I've got a little early copy lucky me um so it's all about organising, sorting, and I guess really sort of making sense of life because it 
it goes outside of the home. It's it's such a um, I guess it's attached to how you feel mentally, emotionally, physically. It really so much of it resonated because if I don't have, say, my kitchen looking how I like it in a certain order, I cannot start work. There's no way I could start writing or start working on a podcast episode because everything just feels totally chaotic. And I wonder if for you, during the pandemic, your organising and tidying has gone off the chart because we are so out of control globally. Do you know what? I think it's always off the chart because I live in a mess and I'm constantly tidying. You know, it's one of those things where... You know what it's like, Fern, when you've got loads of kids and a busy work schedule and a partner, (laughs) um, you do often find yourself just living in a mess. And it's those moments where you go, right, that's it. I'm just going to sort this out because my brain feels like it just can't function anymore. And you get something out of it that it gives you the motivation to do it. Um, It has to be done. Like, you know, some days I don't. Some days I literally just go, I'm shutting the blooming door and I'm not doing this because I can't be bothered. But... Having the motivation to do it comes, I think, from making it a bit more of a fun thing rather than a chore. Um, So when I started doing tap tidies, it was all just for my own benefit. It was all for me to see what it looked like before and then see what it looked like after I had, you know, spent some time with it. And it just felt like I was rewarding myself. Yeah, so it made it worth it then. It made me think, well, I'll just do the bathroom now then because I'll get to do my chat to tidy or I'll get to I'll get to get something from it. And I think that, yeah, I would love to live in a tidy haven sanctuary, but then there would be no tap to tidy. I, w- I wouldn't have to do anything because it would always be organised. But the reality of my life and situation is, is that it's not. It's always a mess that needs taking care of. So I think for me, it was more of a motivational what's going to make this fun for me? What What is going to give these everyday things that I have to do anyway a bit of life? And yes, I think that genuinely the, the reason I like being meticulously organised is because it does make me feel in control. It definitely does make me feel like there are certain aspects of my life that I can 100% control and then I'll forget about the things that I really can't. Um, and the things I have to just let go of because they are not in my control at all. Mm, I, I I know what you mean. I, I feel the same. It it does just give you a sense of safety, I think, knowing that, you know, you can control bits of your life that sometimes do feel really chaotic and hectic. You know, you can have agency over them still. And, you know, you say in the book that if your house is tidy, you will feel happier, calmer and more in control. And I wonder... When you're feeling out of control, say it is because of the house being a mess or it is just circumstantially something's happening that you don't have control over, how does that manifest for you? What happens? You know, for me, I know I get so ratty. I usually will go to anger quite quickly because I don't like being out of control. So that for me is like pure rage and anger. How does that manifest for you? My out of control manifests in fear, I think. So I have like a really weird fear of death. So the minute I feel out of control, I just think I'm going to die. I know that sounds ridiculous. Wow. No, it doesn't. It's so weird. I just, yeah, when things are going wrong, I just immediately, my brain goes to the most intrusive thoughts that it possibly could. And I just think, oh my gosh, this could happen to me tomorrow. And then I could, I could not wake up or it's just so strange. I've had it since I was a little girl. I don't know what it is or why. I wrote about it in the book I did before this book where I genuinely it's just the most intrusive 
thought process and I hate it. And so the only way for me to completely block out those thoughts when I'm feeling out of control is to focus my mind on a task. And that can be either tidying something, organising something, or it could even be just sitting there and making something, like crafting something or just finding something old and going, oh, what can I do with that? And my, my whole brain then has to focus on the task at hand and all of those thoughts that will sit there and haunt me and scare me have no time to be in my head because I'm completely focused on one thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that my when I feel out of control, immediately I go to worst-case scenario. I think the catastrophizing element of it is really common. I had it quite recently. Again, I haven't had it maybe since I was a kid, but I've certainly had it probably over the last sort of 10 years on off when my anxiety has been worse. And it's so interesting you brought that up because I had a really bad episode of it a couple of months ago where I was having really awful catastrophizing thoughts, ones that I didn't want to even say out loud because it just felt so terrifying. And I was, again, looking for ways to sort of make that dissipate or lessen and like, what can I do? And I actually spoke to this really wise person that I know who does sort of like healing therapies and stuff. And she came up with a really interesting way of thinking about it or analogy and she said I I don't think it's because I was going oh my god what if I'm having a premonition or you know I was making it even more of a catastrophe by worrying that what I was thinking was then definitely going to come true. Oh my god I was like what about that book The Secret they say whatever you think will manifest and I was like I just can't keep thinking these things because it's going to happen to me. I know, well, Rhonda Byrne, who wrote The Secret, is actually on this series as well. She's an amazing woman. You've got to listen to that episode because she said some profound things. But I had the same feeling because I'm a big fan of that book and that sort of way of thinking. And again, you think either I'm having a premonition or what if I'm thinking about it so much that I in turn, like you say, attract it in. And you know what? The one thing that just put that fire out for me was this really brilliant friend saying to me, there's no connection to reality and what you're thinking. She went, I think you feel under threat because of the job that you do and you've got mass judgment. And also there's this whole cancel culture thing right now, which I think we're probably all slightly terrified about on a level that we're going to say or do one thing and then we're never, ever going to work again or we're going to just vanish into the ether. And she said, I think you feel so threatened by that and a low-level worry about that that you're putting all of it into these scenarios of you know, other people being sort of cancelled or going from your life. And I was like, oh, now that makes sense. That to me makes sense. And I can logically see why I'm having these really illogical thoughts. So maybe it's worth looking into the root of why you have it, because that really helped me out, that one. So I went to I went to hypnotherapy, Reiki, CBD, because it became it actually became an obsession, like an yeah, obsessive um, thought process. And it was, yeah for years it just really controlled my life and in the end I think what what I got from all of that was that when I had Zach at 17 I you know when you're a teenager and you go through life and you're just like I'm invincible the thought of death doesn't even cross your mind no you're just completely invincible you're never going to get old and you're never going to die and and I remember feeling like that as a teenager when I gave birth to Zach I I think it was so traumatic that it just click something in my brain that made me go I'm really vulnerable and one day I'm going to die and anything can happen to me I think because giving birth is just so it's just so massive isn't it it's just such a massive trauma to the body and I was just I just wasn't ready for it and I think from that day I just felt so vulnerable and I never checked it out I never 
I never knew anything about therapy really or or trauma or anything like that and it just built and built and built and I'd never felt safe since so yeah I think I can logically see what it where it comes from what it boils down to but it still doesn't stop it from sometimes just manifesting itself and just coming out whenever it decides to so I just have to find tools of of put that I can put in place so that when it does come, I can recognise it, say, okay, this is coming, I feel this way, what can I do to, to take my mind off of it? Well, that's it, because sometimes it's more damaging to go, oh, well, if I try these things, maybe it will go forever. Or, you know, we're constantly waiting for, like, I'm constantly waiting to, yeah, to not have, I specifically get nighttime panic attacks. And I haven't had one for ages. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm, you know, all these different things that I'm trying, they're, they're gone forever. And then I had one the other night for, you know, because Rex had woken up in the night and I started panicking that I wouldn't get back to sleep, which means then, of course, I didn't. And, it, you know, I am still going, maybe if I try this one, you know, new thing, it will completely be eradicated. And I think that can be quite dangerous. Whereas actually... If you just think, you know what, I might deal with this for a long time and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, as long as you find tools to help you cope, because you don't want to, of course, be in suffering and pain the whole time or stressed out or having, you know, when you have intrusive thoughts, you know, or OCD or Puro, it's horrible. Like nobody wants to experience that. But if you can find coping mechanisms, I think, without assuming there's this magical cure you can live with it and you and I and I love I love the fact that you know for you really simple things are helping you and it's the same for me really simple things help me like going for a run going walking like that for me is an absolute must for you it's organizing and it's crafting and I think that's why we have to be careful to really look at where we're getting our influence from it doesn't have to be meditating it doesn't have to be anything that's a modern day sort of prescription to to help you cope it can be whatever you like and you found something I you think love. all of these things are forms of meditation I think that they exercise are. cooking crafting all of these things are just a different form of meditation I could if I tried conventional meditation which I have I cannot sit there and let my brain be empty. It's just an impossibility for me. So that kind of meditation doesn't work for me. That doesn't mean it won't work for somebody else and that doesn't mean that a million other things can be your form of meditation. I think it's to to be able to focus on one thing. I remember when I when I was younger and I I learned the piano and I kid you not, it was probably the only time as a teenager, I didn't have a thousand things buzzing around in my head because I could only think of how I was learning the piano. And it's little things like that that are the real forms. Like You've just got to find your form and find your thing. And I've definitely accepted that there are parts of my personality like the intrusive thoughts, like the obsessive worrying about certain things that are just going to be there. Sometimes they're worse, sometimes they're better, sometimes it feels like they're not there at all. But if I accept that they're a part of my personality and I just, it's a work in progress and I just constantly find new tools or the same old tools to help me when it gets worse, then it's livable and manageable and actually can be enjoyable even sometimes. Well, absolutely, because it acts as a catalyst for you to try new things, which is a really beautiful thing. And that's the whole point of the book, that you're showcasing that. I'd love to talk about the time that you had your, your first kid. So you were, you were super young, you were, you were 17. We've talked already quite a bit about control. And as we know, there's, there's nothing more out of control than having a kid. You know, from, as you've just said, giving birth to then having a small human that you've got to keep alive. How out of control did you feel at that point in your life? Oh, completely out of control, but not just out of control, out of my depth. Like, totally out of my depth. I felt like I 
had made a really terrible decision. I felt like I'd made a cruel decision because I didn't really have the means or the emotional ability to look after this child. I even now, Zaki's 13 this year and he's an incredible young boy and I'm so proud of him, but I even now look back and feel really guilty about the way that I was as a parent when he was a baby because I just wasn't, I wasn't good. And I know that obviously you shouldn't say that to yourself, but you know, I look back and that is just the way I feel about the situation. I didn't want to be his mum, I didn't know how to be his mum and I found it all very, very difficult. I felt so out of control because... I just didn't know how to love him. I didn't feel that rush of love that everyone said I was going to feel. I didn't know how to do that or what to do. But I also had no money. I had no support system. All of my, you know, my my mum and dad were at work. My sisters and brothers were at school. It was just me and this baby. And obviously they were there and they were amazing and I couldn't have done it without them. But it was the most daunting, scary time I can remember in my whole entire life. It's It's the most overwhelmed I've ever felt. Well, obviously, you know, at that age, often that is a time when there are so few responsibilities. If you're at college or you've started work already or whatever, you don't have any. And and you had so much responsibility at that point. Was there anything that helped you kind of get through that time? Yeah. I mean, first of all, my parents, like, they were incredible. I had, I was still at college, so... Three months after I had Zach, I went back to finish my A-levels and he went to the creche inside the nursery. They had an, It was an adult learning college, so they had a creche. So from like seven in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon, he was in that creche from like three months old, bless him. Honestly, I honestly can't tell you how guilty I feel about the whole thing. Oh, you mustn't know. I know, but it, it is what it is, isn't it? Then you have more children and you get to spend more time with them and you think, oh God, I spent more time with that one than this one, but... You know, they're all good kids and they're all, yeah, good people. So it is what it is. Um, so that that was a bit of a... I felt in control about my studies so I could still go back to school and do my studies. Um, I used to be really meticulous about every week I'd get a gyro and milk vouchers and stuff like that. So I used to really try and make that work and stretch and last. I didn't have extra money for like milk and stuff and nappies. So everything from the gyro had to be like written down where it was going, what it was going on. And I think probably after I had that was when I started to realize how important it was for me to have some sort of organization in my life. Cause otherwise I would have failed my A-levels. We wouldn't have been able to afford anything. I had to be organized about childcare. I had to be organized about everything so I think it really like kicked me and pushed me into if you don't sort yourself out you will you won't survive this Mm. so funny because this week I was just sort of personally thinking about this kind of subject matter a lot because I often look back at I guess I could probably safely say the whole of my 20s and I've got so much regret about so much of that decade and so much guilt about either bad choices or mistakes that I made or just not keeping my mouth shut when I should have. And, you know, of course, that's what being younger is all about when you're a teenager or in your 20s. And then hopefully in your 30s, 40s onwards, you can unpick all of it and make better choices, whatever. But I I mean, I still go to therapy all the time. And I was talking the other day about trying to find a bit of peace in all of that and I guess the key being forgiving the younger version of me and also loving her 
like finding some love for that version of me because I can so easily go oh she was such a stupid twat like so mouthy what an idiot and that is my inclination naturally to just go no I don't want to I reject that whole decade of who I was can you find love for that version of yourself back then oh yeah I definitely I I think it's okay to look back at things and go bloody hell I wasn't proud of that or I wasn't happy with that because not it would it would be impossible to believe that every single decision we've ever made as human beings has been one that we're always proud of it's impossible it we, we're uh, but I do have I do forgive myself of everything like I genuinely forgive myself of everything I am just a human being I can only do what I do life happens you make decisions and that is it and I look at the present a lot so I look at my children now and yes although I do I do get a tummy ache sometimes I do get a funny feeling in my tummy when I think about certain things and how they played out and what happened I look at exactly what's going on now and I just think do you know what Stace you've done an amazing job you are an incredible mum the boys that I've raised I'm so proud of and like I honestly couldn't there's nothing I'm more proud of than my children and Every single one of them has had a different upbringing. Every single one of them has been born into different circumstances with different parents, with different lifestyles. And they're all really good people. And I just think that goes to show that, you know, no matter what regrets I have, no matter what happened in the past, ultimately, if you love them, adore them and and do your best, whether your best is right, wrong or whatever, ultimately, it's all going to be all right. Yeah, and it's about... It goes back to to the love, doesn't it? Like... I think there's so much pressure on modern day parenting that you've got to do things a certain way, a certain way. And you know, I think we can we can kind of assume that this is more of a problem for mothers. You know, I think for mums there is so much pressure and guilt on whether you're working or not, and that pressure doesn't apply in the same way to dads. Um, still, you know, we can we can see that and. It can feel really heavy. And, you know, I, as a working mum, I've always worked. I do struggle with that sometimes and the things that I should be doing, could be doing better or whatever. And it just goes down to the love, doesn't it? You, do you love your kids? Do you, do you love them with every ounce of your heart and body? And are you showcasing that? And that's all you can do, really. At the end of the day, Fern, who's it for? Who are you working for? For them, like, they know that. They know it's also for us. Yes, we have to do things for us. But ultimately, we can't take it with us. Nothing we do in this life we're going to take with us. So they know they're loved unconditionally, whether we're at work or not. I think it's different pressures for men and for women. So for mums, like you said, I do think there's a massive pressure for us to be this all holy being that is like the motherly being of grace and god honestly it's a huge pressure but then i look at the pressures that joe's under and i just think they're very different he has the opposite he has the yearn to want to be taken seriously as a parent but actually i don't dads never are they're kind of like the sideline and mums know it all and mums do best so it's we categorize parents mums and dads differently and we put different pressures on them and and give them different labels but ultimately exactly what you're saying Fern is at the end of the day if we all just love these humans and that is all they ever have from us that is enough yeah that's what we that's all we that's all we can do the rest is out of our control entirely because they're their own little people and we have to sort of let them get on with it to some extent 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Um, much like myself, you're, and I don't know if you like this terminology, I feel slightly queasy about it. We're in blended families. I don't know what other terminology to use. That's the way I guess that the modern world describes it. But... We, we both have blended families. I've got um, two teenage stepkids who are 15 and 19, and I've been in their life for, well, 10 years now. And I'm always interested meeting other parents that have a, a similar setup as to how you found that integration of having all the kids either living at one place at one time or coming and going. How have you found that? Are your steps with you? They come, well, one of them is now at university, so he never comes home. He's literally having, I mean, even during the pandemic, he's having the time of his life. He's got a wicked little gang of housemates, like new friends, and he's just loving being independent. So we FaceTime most days and he's just having a ball. But my stepdaughter, much like when they were both younger, they, you know, they live down the road. So they come and go whenever. We'll have her for a week, a weekend, a day, two weeks, a month. It could be, it's just totally flexible, which is lovely. And, and, you know, we've just tried to bring them all up as, you know, full siblings. There's no half about it. They're just brothers and sisters and, and they all really love each other. How, how has that process been for you? Yeah, I mean, none of the boys ever go, oh, it's my half-brother. It's not even no. it's not even a terminology in the house. So, yeah, we, we are exactly the same. I think when, when there's children from different relationships, whoever's not living in the household, I think is a much more difficult dynamic to navigate. It's something that we've found really difficult to navigate because ideally in our world, we'd want them all here all the time together and that's just not how it works. So we have to navigate. We try and make sure that when everyone goes to their dads, everyone goes to the other parent so that when they're all back, they're all back together. But it doesn't always work out like that, but we do try and make it that way. And then I guess the dynamics for the parents are really difficult. So... There's this weird... I mean, every stepmom ever written about is, like, evil. I I know, I hate it. It's so horrible. It's much harder for me... It was much harder for me to build a relationship with Joe's child than it was for Joe to build a relationship with mine because that fun-loving, happy-go-lucky man that comes into the life is always more exciting and has a better... Yeah, I I think they have an easier time uh, than the one meeting the evil stepmother who's going to give him a poison apple. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's the worst. And it's still in storybooks today. You're like, can we move on and get a new story about stepmoms? Just nice, one nice story about stepmoms. I know. So, yeah, I think that has been really difficult and it's still a work in progress, you know, I think because you are constantly trying to balance being there for somebody and wanting them to be a part of your family without being intrusive and making them feel as though you're taking over something. So it's a real fine balance. And yeah, I would say it's a work in progress and I think we'll always be working on it. But again, I I know it sounds like I'm repeating myself. I just feel like if they all know we love them, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, that is all we can do. And there'll be days when it's really good and everyone's getting along and everyone's, you know, it's like the Brady Bunch. And then there'll be days when everyone hates each other and, you know, they wish they lived with their dad. So Yeah, that's a family life, isn't it? That's that is family life. It's never perfect. It's never neat and tidy, and it's never 
exactly what you want it to be. It's it's absolute chaos. It's so complicated. And like you say, it just has to come back to the love time and time again. Because I found like I've personally been questioned on Instagram when I've written something about, oh, it's my stepdaughter's birthday. I've had people go, why are you calling her your stepdaughter? You know, she might feel less of that. And I was like, no, no, the terminology has absolutely nothing to do with my dynamic with either of my stepkids. But equally, I don't want to say my daughter because that's not fair on her mum because I, I didn't give birth to her. I question anybody who questions those kind of dynamics Yeah, that they have any understanding for blended families. I do question that because, like you said, if my son's were having a birthday party at their dad's house and their dad's partner, who they get on with very well, who are really lovely people, said, oh, here's my my son, I would find that very difficult to manage. I would find it very difficult to take in. But at the same time, if it meant that Leighton felt more comfortable, would I sacrifice my own emotions? Yes. But I do think that everybody is tiptoeing around to make sure that they make everybody happy. And that's what you a good parent does you know and you just have to do it your way and whatever works for you I have people questioning me all the time like why isn't Joe's son in all of my pictures why don't I name him but that's not a choice for me to make he is not my son to you know publicly have him on show and you know anyone who understands blended families will understand that straight away and I think it's only people's curiosity that makes them ask those questions because I don't I really just don't think they understand I don't think it's I don't think they mean to be hurtful, even though it does hurt us because you you think, oh, my God, I'm doing my best here and that's all I can do. Yeah. I don't think they mean to hurt people by what they're saying. I just think they they really are just curious. Yeah, and I get that because it is, you know, it it is a situation that requires a lot of time and thought and it just has to be right for you and it, and it has to make you all feel good. And you say in the book, you know, so often with parenting, we think that we've got to always do what is exactly right and we often forgo what makes us feel happy. So, you know, there's a lot of shoulds, like you should do this as a mum, you should do this as a dad, rather than what's going to make you feel really happy right now, which in turn will make your kids happy. How have you navigated that one? I've navigated it by, I think, just by being a parent for 13 years. Like, genuinely, at 17, when you've got a baby and everyone's looking at you like, oh, that's disgusting, you're a tramp, you just really quickly learn to get a thick skin and go, you know what, if people are going to judge me anyway and are going to hate this decision that I've made in life, I might as well do it my way. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, I remember turning up at playgrounds with Zach when I first took him to school and and mum's just not even wanting to talk to me. Um, because I, and, and I get it. Who wants to sit and talk to the 18 year old girl when, when you're in your thirties, they, they had nothing to say to me and, and nothing in common with me. So I did understand it. I didn't, I didn't feel like they were doing it to be nasty. I just thought they thought I've got nothing to say to the 18 year old girl at college. So I, I remember just thinking, okay, I'll just have this, this is my situation. It is unique to me it is what's happening in my life and I can only do it the way that I'm doing it I don't have any other option yes it would be great if I could chew up my organic food and spit it out directly into my baby's mouth every hour that it needs feeding but I don't have those choices that option isn't available to me so I'll just do it the way that it works and I've carried that through with all of the boys you know sometimes people will even judge you for 
having an iPad or even just any little things. I mean, people will judge you on everything in parenting because whether we like it or not, there are rule books and guides too and people telling you the best way you could be doing it. And there really are better ways for everything. You know, there there are better ways to feed. There are better ways to entertain. There are better ways to educate. But ultimately, and I'll say the same thing every single time, Yes, some days I'll cook them a home-cooked meal. Some days I'll give them a pot noodle. Some days, you know, with some of my children, I managed to breastfeed. With some of them, I really couldn't do it. And I think that, again, the message just is, if you love them, that is all. That is all you can do, you know? And as much as we'd love to, in an ideal world, be able to do everything perfectly all of the time, it's just not, it's just not feasible. No, and I think the judgment comes because people want to feel like they're better and doing something really brilliantly. And it's a really horrible feeling because there's loads of bad habits we've got into. Like I'll still end up sleeping in the bloody bunk bed most nights because Rex just isn't a great sleeper. And he's, hey, he sh- I should be going, mate, no, go back to sleep on your own. But I'm tired. I want sleep and I want him to go back to sleep. You know, if I looked in a rule book, it would probably say I had to keep going in and out every two minutes. I'm not doing that. Do you know what I mean? And I think people that in that circumstance, have nailed the sleep. They'll want to feel better about themselves. Like, oh God, that's quite good that I've nailed that one and she hasn't. You know, it's all just about, we're all co- we're all trying to cope and we're all trying to get through it. And sometimes you might feel elevated because someone's not doing something as well as you. It all just needs to be eradicated because at the end of I the day... I good for them. If it makes yeah, them good, feel better good. about themselves, good for them. And do you know what, Fern? I have three boys and they will spend the majority of their life not in your bed and not giving you cuddles and not, you know, not having that one-on-one time with you. My, my Zaki, I love him so much. He's very sensitive. And actually I've had him, I've had him with me longer than most boys, I would say, but he is starting to like take off and be on his own. And I'm so glad that I slept with him in his bed. I'm so glad I had baths with him. I'm so glad that I did all those things with him, even though every rule book told me not to, because it's it's gone now. Well, this is it. I always think, oh my God, when they're teenagers, I am going to be so much more panicked them going out and me not knowing when they're coming in. I definitely won't be sleeping then. So if I have to sleep in a bunk bed, I'll sleep in the bloody bunk bed. Um... You obviously generously share a lot of your life on social media and your and your very sort of personal private life, being at home and whether it's crafting or cooking or being with the family. Are there ever times when you feel vulnerable doing that or you kind of want to hide away and not put that side of yourself out there? There's times when I feel vulnerable in general, but I actually find myself saying that out loud to other people makes me feel less vulnerable. I don't know what it is, but I remember a few months ago, I just felt stupid. Do you ever have those days where you feel like a bit of an idiot and everything you uh, say and do? Oh my God, I just everything I say and said and did, I just thought, oh, how cringe, like, how embarrassing. And I was really beating myself off about it. And I just thought, what is wrong with me? I don't know if I was due on or what, but I just had this like confidence crisis. So I just said, I just said on my stories, I'm having a real confidence crisis. Everything I do is annoying me and embarrassing. I feel like I'm embarrassing myself. And when I said it, so many people were like, oh my gosh, I get those days. I have that. Don't worry, it's in your head. It's not you. Blah, blah, blah. And just having that, having someone with common ground, you genuinely feel like, 
I, I genuinely on that platform feel like I'm never alone, even when I'm having a rubbish day. I feel like it's such a nice feeling to know that that you're, you're normal. <laughs> it's so true. But look, going back to the start of our conversation, you know, I I don't actually know, apart from you now, anybody else that has that horrible, obsessive, catastrophizing thought thing. I often in the middle of the night will go, what is wrong with me? Why am I such a freak? Why is this my tendency to to fall into this horrible negative vortex whenever I'm trying to go to sleep or feel relaxed? So I'm glad that now I've heard you say the same. It is that lovely sort of connection, but also solace that you're not alone. Like it's a horrible thing to feel alone. Yeah, it really is. And I think especially the pandemic has really heightened that. You know, you can be surrounded by your family and people, but still feel like, oh, my God, I'm on my own and no one gets me at all. And I'm a weirdo or whatever. And having having socials, um, I think when it's navigated properly, can really be a saviour in that and just make you feel less ridiculous. No, I, I agree. I totally agree with you. And, you know, you've... But the thing is, you know, not only are you getting help from that yourself, and I, and I feel the same about social media, but it's a transaction that most definitely goes both ways. And you've got an amazing platform with really, you know, your your fans are so engaged and connected to what you're doing all the time. And I think you probably underestimate how much you've helped other people in all sorts of ways. Obviously, you know, you're giving all these brilliant crafting tips all the time. So people go, God, I could do that in my free time because we're in a pandemic. There's nothing else to do. Like, that's a lovely gift. But actually, you've done it in so many ways. And as an outsider, again, someone that follows you on social media, you know, one thing I think you've really helped women with is feeling confident or at peace or having acceptance around our physical bodies because there is still so much toxicity out there especially on social media around the female body and what it should look like or what is acceptable or what is a beach body and all this strange new stuff that we've you know in the last sort of a hundred years come to really feel ashamed about our bodies I mean there's always been sort of silhouettes through history that have probably been more desirable in culture and around parts of the world but it seems like shame's a new thing like you should feel ashamed if your body doesn't look a certain way and I wonder at what point in your life you started to cultivate that really good relationship with your physical body and have that sort of self-love I guess. I genuinely have never I had some insecurities when I was pregnant and after giving birth but before then my sister used to call me shallow how. <laughs> Because I thought, I've always thought, oh my God, I'm beautiful, like, look at me. And I'm not conventionally beautiful by any way, like, you know, if you look at the models in the magazines, I'm not one of them. But I've always thought, I was really pretty. You (laughs) are, you're gorgeous. I've been like, bigger, smaller, whatever, just goofy, whatever. And I've never noticed it. My sister would say to me, so my, me and my sister laugh about it now because we would go out and we were on holiday with our family once in Turkey or somewhere like that. And I think I'd just not long had Zach and I thought I'd like snap back. I was like, wow, look at my body. I look amazing. And when we look at pictures, I was not <laughs> what I thought in my head was. I was really quite, I still looked nine months pregnant, if I'm completely honest with you. And she was like, you you were like shallow house days. You would walk down that beach as if you you were clueless. But that's amazing. <laughs> 
But I don't know why. I've, I've always, I think I've just always convinced myself that if I think I'm really beautiful, other people will think it too. But they do. But that's how it works. Because it's a confidence thing, isn't it? That you're walking around feeling as beautiful as we all are in our own ways. You know, I mean, we're all uniquely beautiful and we're all uniquely special. And we're all uniquely, you know, doing our thing. But it's... That's not for other people to decipher. That is up to you. And I think you've nailed it and you always seem to be very consistent with it. So I'm so glad that comes from such a place that it's authentically always been that way for you. That's so brilliant. And I think so rare. The first time that I realised people didn't think my body was that nice. <clears throat> that sounds really big headed, doesn't it? But I don't care. The first time I, I noticed was I was on... Um, I took Zaki on holiday and I don't know where this pap was hiding somewhere, but a pap had got pictures of me in my... I mean, I'm, I was wearing a strapless bikini thingy. And obviously, after you've had kids, your strapless bikini isn't like here. It's almost where yeah. your bottoms are. So yeah. they, they took pictures of me somewhere and then put me in the paper. And the headline was... They put me next to Louisa Johnson, you know, that really lovely singer, really lovely girl, um... And they put me a picture of me and a picture of her. She had um, a sort of like halter neck bikini on. I had my strapless one. And they just said, the headline was top flop. Louisa Johnson shows Stacey Solomon how to wear a bikini. Poor Louisa, like as if she would ever want to be a part of that kind of narrative. Um, yeah, Louisa shows Stacey Solomon how to wear a bikini as like my boobs were so saggy. Like it was all, it said saggy in it, top flop, like all this horrible stuff about how saggy my movies were. And it was the first time I was like, what? I look nice in that bikini. What are you talking about? You know, and you just think, where has this come from? And and I call, and that was the first time I think I thought, I've got to say something about this because I don't feel uncomfortable in my body. And they're putting this message out that I should feel uncomfortable in my body. So I, I did. I called it out and just said, I've... I'm really proud of my body. I like the way that I look and I don't support this message in any way, shape or form. And I don't want anyone to read this paper and ever feel like they're not good enough because they look like me. What a load of shit. I mean, it makes me so angry. And I, I've I've had similar where I, I was, you know, I was on holiday and I just had honey and you know, my boobs were still sort of full of milk and hanging all around the place. And I probably had a strapless thing on too and they're all over the shop and my gut was hanging out. And it was it was on again some sort of magazine saying, oh you know, thank God you know sort of real bodies after having a baby. It's like well it's just the body. Everyone after having a baby's got big saggy boobs and bits of you know flesh and like what the hell? They're pretending to be nice, but actually, if you spoke to someone like my sister who's naturally extremely slim, very very slim, she had her babies and literally the day after it looked like she'd never had babies before. She would then look and go, so I haven't got a real body then because mine yes. mine doesn't have the lump and mine doesn't have the and I just think, do you know what? Fuck off. Like, I, know. I genuinely think it's Real bodies, this body, that body, just body. Like, just bodies. It is, you're right, you're so right, because it can go on the opposite end of the spectrum and where they pretend to be celebrating somebody, they're always making somebody feel less. It's so shitty. I, I absolutely hate it. And I love that you are, you know, without even having to battle that narrative, you're just positively putting yourself out there in an authentic way, which is beautiful and, as I said before, highly 
encouraging for all of us women, for all of us. And there'll be men who have, you know, exactly the same body hang up. So it's, it's beautiful for everyone. People, people think it doesn't happen to boys. But my boys, oh, I remember a couple of years ago, Leighton saying to me, so when, when will I grow my six pack? And I was like, what? <laughs> well, because every single toy he ever plays with has a freaking six yeah. pack. Every action figure, every superhero, every anyone he looks up to or aspires to has like these lines across its stomach. And he and he he genuinely was like, "So when does mine come in?" I was like, "Oh, that's not how it works." I know, it's- <laughs> It's just, it's you know, it's a body toxicity on every level and um, and it isn't exclusive to women. You know, I think we're seeing more and more rising cases of men having that sort of body insecurity and also along with that probably dysmorphia a lot of the times as well. So it's just brilliant that, you know, that is something that you're deeply passionate about. And it, it helps me as well. You know, I, I still get insecure about things physically and I think I try to follow a lot of people on social media that are purely authentic. So personally for me, thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, there are so many brilliant things in your book and your Instagram. One of the things that struck me, and I actually wrote it down in my notepad because it's something I'm going to start doing. Uh, I'm going to end on this note because I'd never heard of this before. But one technique you have to make your bed look neat is to get a coat hanger and run it along the side to get the duvet tucked in. Right, this came about because I love my, getting my nails done, right? <laughs> I really enjoy it. Sometimes I like them super long and I don't want to ruin them. And there's so many household chores that just ruin your nails every day. And tucking the bed in was just my nail nemesis. And I could also, um, I hate ironing. Can't bear to iron and I certainly don't want to be ironing bedding. It doesn't even fit on the ironing board, do you know what I mean? So by the time you've ironed one bit and you've no. folded it over, it's creasing it. <laughs> really bugs me. Yeah. So I genuinely, I get a wooden, like a hard wooden coat hanger and I lay the duvet across it and then use the hanger to like shove it right down Genius. the sides of the mattress and it pulls it so tight that it looks like it's been ironed and my nails are safe. <laughs> it's genius. To me, that is a hotel bed. That is a hotel standard bed. And I, I haven't tried it yet. I read it in the book last week and I was like, I'm writing that down. That is going to be a new thing that I get the old coat hanger, I run it along. Oh, I love, love. you. It'll change your I'm life. I'm so into that. <laughs> It's good. So many of these things. Well, my God, it's brilliant. It's such a lovely book. And um, and I so appreciate you talking today. And I, I love what you're doing on social media as well. So thank you, Stacey awesome. Solomon. You're Thanks an absolute for legend. Me. That was the best. I love you. Oh, I love you too, Stacey Solomon, you wondrous being. If you're already racing to your bedroom to try Stacey's hanger hack, there are plenty more utterly genius ideas in her book, Tap to Tidy, which is out now. That hanger thing, that's changed my life. And I mentioned my chat with Rhonda Byrne. Oh, Rhonda Byrne! You can always go back and listen to that. And a load of other great episodes too, whenever you want, by subscribing to Happy Place. A massive thanks again to Stacey, to the producers of this episode, Matt Hill and Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you blimmin' lovely lot for listening. Take it easy, guys, and I'll see you next week. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 